My name is Henry. I'm so happy to be with you guys this morning. It is my absolute privilege, um, my delight to see you. Uh, it's always good to be able to speak the name of Jesus over any person. And that's exactly what I want to do this morning, just to bring Jesus to you and to your hearts. I just felt even during the meeting um, and just a, a sense of like, I mean, you've seen the movies when there's an earthquake about to happen, things start moving and shifting around and what have you. But I believe the earthquake is in you, inside of you. There's something inside of you that wants to explode, that wants to get out. It wants to start moving with God. And I think it is your time. It is your time to hear that from the Lord, that you can be stirred to that point of saying, God, let me go. Take off the chains. Are you bound? Are there chains? We sang some beautiful songs here this morning. Just to break chains, just to loose our hearts and our spirits, that we can really run with God and really do it. Yeah, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So... Um, yeah, I brought a whole bunch of my team here. Thanks, guys, for coming with us uh, this morning. You can please check in on me if I do good or not, and please take the liberty of giving me some feedback. I don't mind if you diss me a bit. That's fine, but I want to do, do my best. I really feel in the Lord. Um, a lot of people say, well, it's not about the preaching, but I, I find it's an honor to preach, and I want to do my best, and I want to give my best, and I want the anointing of the Lord to rest on His Word and not on me and who I am. I don't want to walk out of this place and say, well done, Henry. I want to walk out of this place, and I feel emptied of that which God has given to me, and I want it to rest in your hearts because it's God's Spirit, and it's God's Spirit wanting to touch your lives. So I'm just sussing you out a little bit, checking your faces. Uh, some of you look terrified. <laughs> it's okay. This morning I had to get up and use the defibrillator to get me going like boom. Like okay, I'm okay. No, that's not enough. Let's do a 300. Let's turn it up to 300. Okay, boom. <laughs> no, it wasn't quite like that. So I may be an old guy, but I'm not dead yet. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm not intending to die here. Not today, please. <laughs> I don't like stage stuff, you know. It doesn't work for me. So if you did ballet on the stage, I don't want to do this. It's not going to work out there. Okay, so let's get into word. Let's get into uh, just changing some lives uh, this morning. So you guys have been busy with some marriage stuff, I heard. Yeah? No, it's good. Richard told me all about it. He said, you guys are getting stirred up, getting ready for it. And I think the guys are done. Are you done? Yeah, I heard the other day on a, uh, a talk on, on marriage, and I think, John, you've also listened to it. It's, it's something, it goes something like this, that, you know, marriage is good, and once you found out that it's good, you die. So <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, <laughs> all right, it's never about marriage. Let's talk about something about a little more. All right, so it's about, it's like the, the widow spider, you know, the widow spider just after they've really got serious, um, she kills him. <laughs> and then says to the children, you can eat your dad. It's cool, no problem. <laughs> so it's kind of like the way it works, eh? Is that what marriage is about? I kind of like figured that's pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty close. 
So a very special privilege for me to be here. And thanks to Richard and trusting that they're having a great time just seeking the face of the Lord and just yielding themselves to what, what are you saying, Lord? What are you speaking to our hearts? And please touch us. And that's what we're praying to, that God would really just use this opportunity to build into them some strength that they can lead this congregation into something big. I really do believe that is time for our Father to do something greater. So sometimes I do wonder how that one meeting can possibly change a life. I wonder about that sometimes. But I mean, if, if you look at the stories of Paul, that just one meeting with God changed his life forever. And so I'm praying even this morning that God will change some lives forever, that there will be a forever deposit in somebody's life. And it's not about me. Don't look to me. That's not what I'm trying to give you. It's, it's what the Holy Spirit wants to bring into your heart and your life because you need to engage God here this morning. It's not about me and doing this thing. So none of us, none of us are really like God our Father. None of us. None of us are like Jesus. None of us are like the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you got the message yet to know that there's still adjustments that we need to make along the way, that the gospel still needs to do a powerful work in our lives, that we can't stop at the moment of saying, yes, Jesus, I give you my life, and then it's like all done and dusted. No, it's not done and dusted. God works in us to work his works, and he's doing it right now, and he's doing it in my life, and even at my, uh, my stage of life, God is working his work in me. So none of us are like God. None of us are out there in terms of his image. You know, when God made us, he didn't, he didn't make like, okay, like, let's see what's the recipe here. How do we do this thing? How are we going to make man? He said, I want to make man in my image. Very clearly, a very clear definition. He wants to make you into his image. And I don't know if we understand the fallenness uh, that happened just after that. And, and how long after that, we don't know. It's not clear from the scripture. But somewhere in, the, in that past time, they came into a place of fallenness. And there's a brokenness. And that's what God, through the gospel of Jesus, is bringing back into our lives. That we can find that place of the image of God and learn to be just like him. So we need our salvation. It's not a do-it-yourself thing either. You can try. You can try all you wish. You're not going to get it right. It's no jail-free card. It's not like I gave my life to Jesus 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 days ago, whatever, and I'm done and dusted. No, it's an ongoing. It's God's mercy. It's the blood of Jesus working. It's the cross. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of the gospel setting us free moment by moment and taking us further. I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I've got Jesus. How could I want more? How could I want more? Is that not all that we need? Jesus. Yes, indeed. So, the gospel has a very defined purpose in our lives. Very defined. And I use these words, intense intention. A beslista uitwerking for die wat Afrikaans praat. The gospel has a beslister uitwerking, a very intentional change in your life. Your life will never be the same if you allow the gospel to do its work. And as I've said to you, the gospel doesn't come as a one-time event. It becomes lifestyle. 
as you read the scriptures, as you open the scriptures, as you turn the pages of the scriptures, and you listen to the Spirit of God, you will find that the gospel is at work at you, changing your life day by day, more by moment by moment, and more and more. So the gospel changes you. So, I'm just going to find room to put the word. Put it down here, because I've got the scriptures up here coming up soon. So I just love this about God in Jeremiah when he says this about Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and I appointed you. And you kind of like, oh, well, you know, I don't fit Jeremiah's profile. I don't want to be a prophet to the nations. But that same element exists in every one of our lives, every one of our lives before we were born. Before we were born, he weaved us, he chose us, he made us into something. He set us for a purpose. And that purpose is clear. It's clear. Genesis 1. <laughs> we are made in his image. That's the purpose. That's how it starts. That's how it begins. So if it is possible today, I want to push the boundaries of your devotion to God. I want to push those boundaries. I want, if it's possible. Even if it is one degree, even if it is just a little further, if it is just a little harder into this, I want to challenge your boundaries, your devotion for God, deeper, wider, stronger, bigger, more powerful, however you want to define it. I want to challenge that in the name of the Lord, and if possible, to allow the Holy Spirit to come and even make us uncomfortable, uncomfortable in his presence. And that's the way it really should be all the time. I always feel nervous, and I don't know if the nervousness is just about because I don't feel skilled or I don't feel ready or equipped or whatever, or if that nervousness is just the presence of God. As you stand in the presence of God, some things begin to shift and change in us. We cannot leave the presence of God without being changed. We cannot allow ourselves to spend time in the Word and not be changed. We cannot spend time in prayer with God and not be changed. Something has to change. Because we are always becoming like him. We are always becoming more as we go further down the road. So here is the scripture and we can put it up now. Thank you. Matthew 26. And it just brings us to that place. Uh, and I want to say this. Jesus that walked in Jerusalem is not the same Jesus that we know now. Not the same. Yeah, he's the same, but you know what I mean? There's something different about him something different about him it's not the same as the one that was uh, that walked on water not the same but he was he is the same but he's not the same you know what i'm saying there's more to the jesus that you and i experience today the resurrected jesus the one who's risen from the dead the one who's sitting at the right hand of the father is more than the one that walked in jerusalem that died on a cross in those days much more than that and so at this time he's reclining um, so we can get it. Now, Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? Why this waste? What have you done? Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done 
a beautiful thing to me. Maybe I can just stop there for a moment and just say, when you pour out your life over God, you do something beautiful to him. Something beautiful. You know, the gospel does something beautiful to us. And when you, pour, when you pour it back into him, you do something beautiful to him. And that is my heart for you today as a congregation. Yeah, Durbanville will leave. They will get to hear me preach another time, some of the day, maybe, or not. doesn't matter. Because really, the purpose of it all is that our lives are set apart. Our lives are, get, are set out to be poured out. They set out to be poured out. We don't just live our lives to ourselves. We don't live in a selfish little bubble and say, well, I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm going to heaven, great. It's not about that. There's something about pouring out my life. There's something about taking something costly to me. And what is more costly? What is more costly than life? Our lives given to God. They're about three or four, three times, I think it is in the, in, in the in the Gospels that this story is, is spoken of. And it can be three different events because there are differences in each story that kind of like lead you to believe, well, is this the same person? Is this the same woman? Is it, you know, one time is anointing the head and the next time is anointing the feet. And then there's a time of, of just crying before him and just taking her hair and wiping, wiping the feet of the Lord Jesus. But the message is the same. This is something beautiful, something beautiful that you're giving your life to, that you're pouring your life into. And I want you to get that. I want you to uh, realize that you are that anointing. So pictures of being poured out are never simple. They're never simple. Because something has to happen before I get poured out. That alabaster box that was, that was used, the flask, um, in, in some instances, the, the neck of the flask was broken off, never to be used again. Never to be used again. It's emptied of itself. Took that, that alabaster box of, of precious ointment, costing a huge amount of money. Somewhere in the, in the thinking of, of, of interpreters around this, it's, it's, it's like a year's wages. To take a year's wages and pour it out on the head of Jesus. And the disciples were indignant. How can you do this? How can you do this? And I think one disciple in particular, Judas. Because he kind of like figured out... And I mean, there's a scripture that actually says he was helping himself to the money that they used as, as disciples, as they followed Jesus, as they walked with Jesus. He was taking some of the money and he was thinking, well, you know, maybe this is worth like a year's wages. Like, a, whoa, you know, I can take, I'll just take 10%, you know, the tithe. I'll really do just be honorable and just take a tithe. Whatever. But the heart behind it is so wrong. And sometimes we are indignant when somebody really goes for Jesus. Sometimes we are a little indignant when somebody gets a little bit out of step, like we're out of the normal, you know, like your, your worship team. I love your worship team, guys. Bless you. Thank you for being faithful to that. Because there was an anointing. There was a heart somewhere behind this thing tucked in of being poured out for Jesus. And I love that. And I want more of it. I want to see more of it. I'm sorry I'm pointing at you. You have to be his Daniel. Daniel, the guy. I asked him if he's, he's cool with the lions. He said, it's no problem. Got them under control. <laughs> but it's so precious. It's so precious to be poured out. 
It's so precious to be poured out. I, I think sometimes that we, we get the picture that our, our service is very disjointed. You know, we've got a prayer meeting outside, and then we come inside, and we have a coffee time, and we sit around, and we chat, and we talk, and what have you, and then we dive in here, and then we kind of like maneuver ourselves, and uh, I don't know if you're fond of these chairs in straight rows, I'm not, but anyway, you kind of like figure your way through this thing, you get to the middle, or if you sit on the end, you get chased to the middle, that's the way it works, so, but it's not disjointed, there's something in it all. There's something in it all that brings us, unites us, brings us into a place of gathering ourselves at the feet of Jesus, of gathering ourselves to the place where we can anoint him with our offering, that we can give of ourselves to him, that when the worship band starts, it's not just the guys tuned up that are ready to sing, but it's people pouring their hearts out and that we can join with them. That's what it's about. And then you stand in, or sit in front of a guy who's now preaching and it's disjointed to the rest of the meeting. It's not. It's part of it. It's part of it. I'm part of you. When I preach this word of God, it's something of my heart that gets broken. Not because I, I just want to feel all emotional and that. It's not about that. But it's about a reality that I sense in God that this is special and precious. That as I break open the word, the word has been broken over me. That is touching my heart and changing my life. You see, guys, I want to be different when I've left this meeting today. I want to be different. That's what church is about. It's not about getting together in a, in a nice, comfortable little space and just doing churchy, churchy. It's not about that. What is the church? It's the body of Christ. The body of Christ. It is known by love that you have one for another. I don't know if you're doing that well. And maybe we've got to all work at that. Because it's hard to love some people, isn't it? It's hard to love some people. They're difficult to love. They're awkward. They don't have the right moves. Or I don't know, you know. Um... Now, one of the things that is said about, about fragrances, well, this is not actually a fragrance, but uh, the stink. You know, they do. Scientists actually measure stinks. I don't know if it's a good science, but anyway, they measure it. And the worst one, the worst one is body odor. You know that? Worst stink in the whole world. So if you do body odor, <laughs> you're a big stink. Okay, it's just teasing you, but I want you to know that there's a fragrance that God wants to pour over you and in you and through you, that you become the fragrance of Christ, that there's something about you that people look and say, something smells good around you, something smells real good around you. It feels precious. There's something about this. When they look into your eyes, and I've heard testimonies of people, you know, where they, they've just looked at a person and they said, there's something about you. I don't know if it happens all the time because sometimes you can get a big head about that and then you start stinking. Um, it's true. It is. You've got to stay in a humble place. The only reason that I've got a good smell is because I know somebody who smells good. It's true, isn't it? If it's not about Jesus, then what is it about? 
If I'm declaring Jesus in the way I live, in the way I move, in the way I talk, in the way I handle my life, if I'm declaring Jesus, then I smell good. I smell good. I smell good. God loves sweet-smelling perfumes. There's a whole bunch of scriptures in Exodus that speak about God saying, I want you to take the finest spices, liquid myrrh, sweet-smelling cinnamon, aromatic cane, and I want you to mix this together, 500 of this and 250 of that and a whole bunch of stuff. And you will use these things to anoint the items in the sanctuary. And right now, the items in the sanctuary are sitting in the seats of this building. God wants to anoint you. Do you know that the name Christ, the name Christ, when you say Jesus Christ, Christ means the anointed one. The anointed one. Holy Spirit. How often Jesus would walk about and it's said of him that the Holy Spirit anointed him. Anointed him. Do you think the Holy Spirit has changed his purpose? That you are sitting in this building today and just like listening? Oh, you're being anointed. Anointed. Set aside for a purpose, being anointed for something that will bring a fragrance of Christ in your city, a fragrance of Christ in your home, a fragrance of Christ in your workplace, a fragrance of Christ. And it needs to smell good. It needs to smell good. So let me read a scripture for you. Um, well, let me just make this statement and then I'll read the scripture, the one you can get it. Absalom for Thessalonians 1. But you know what your purpose is? You know what your purpose is? People say, well, you know, I wish God would speak to me. Doesn't have to speak much more than Romans 8, where he says, all things work together for good to them that love God. You love God? Okay, well, you set up. You're on the ride. You are going to take this journey. You're going to take this trip. You are set up. All things work together for good to them that love God. For according to this is his purpose. And this is really what it is. So you are called according to his purpose. That Greek word there in terms of his purpose is like the intensity of his intent. Is that difficult to understand? The intensity of his intent. We've often been told to live intentionally. Is it not? And that's really what it's about. To the intensity of his intent. For them, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, to be conformed. To be conformed. Fashioned into the very icon, the very image of his likeness. The image of the Son of God. That's his purpose. So if you're not looking like Jesus... All things work together for good to them that love God. God is at this business. First Thessalonians 1. You got it up there. And this is Paul speaking and he says, And you became imitators, mimics. That's the real word there, the mimics. You became imitators, mimics. So you, you copied him in a sense. You, you followed him. You heard the words this morning. Follow me. I'm glad you said that, my brother, because this is about following him. 
Because following Jesus is not like uh, being like a little puppy dog tail and saying, okay, Jesus, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? No, it's learn of me. Walk with me. Walk beside me. Listen to my voice. Listen, learn my voice. Learn my heart. Learn my moves. My moves are with God. My moves are toward God. In fact, you know what the purpose of Jesus is? To look like his dad. To look like his father. He says, you look at me, you will see the father. And we have to have no doubt about that experience. No doubt at all. But let me finish reading. And you became imitators, mimics of us and the Lord. Could you say us, like me, us, us, mimics of us? We need to, because that's your purpose here in Somerset West. To set up an us, to set up an us, that people can look at the us and see something of his glory. Of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy and with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You became an example. The word example is actually, sorry if I'm giving you a lot of Greek words here and you must, you must cut me if I need to cut. Okay, John, jump up and down. Um, to become a model. I've got with me, uh, I brought it especially with me. I actually showed it to the team the other day when I preached. That is a penny. Anybody know what a penny is? Some of you older guys will remember the time when we changed from pennies to cents. You know, we did the conversions. Pound, shillings, and pence is a penny. This is a 1901 penny. Date stamp. Okay, it's wrecked now. It's got a hole in it. I made the hole. It's okay, but it's, it's not worth. I spoke to people who deal with coins, and I said... Is this penny worth anything? It's 1901. Goodness me. It's over 120 years old. It's older than all of us, I guess. Any of us. 120 years old, this penny. So he said, no, it's not worth much. Um, you can make a hole in it. It's fine. So I did. And I carried it around. But this penny was spent sometime. Maybe many times. I don't know how many times. Probably in 1901, this was probably a month's wages for poor people. Could have been a week's wages or a day's wages. It didn't matter. It was spent. It was taken. It was earned. It was spent. The person spent it, gave it to a shopkeeper. The shopkeeper put it in his bank, and he tried to draw interest on it. I don't know how much interest you get on a penny, but he got interest on that, and then he'd spend it. And so it was spent over and over and over and over again. I don't know how many times it was spent. But there's something, about, there's something about this that has a stamp on it, an image. It has an image. On the one side, it's the queen, uh, the queen of England. I don't know if it's still the same queen that's living at the moment, but um, <laughs> I don't think so. And then on the other side, it looks like a Roman god, and we don't worry about Roman gods too much. But the reason, the reason I'm showing you is that that's exactly what it means to be a model the Greek word here actually means to be 
stamped like with a hard punch, like a bang, stamped, like you would make a coin. Now a coin is made, they take the reverse image, they take a reverse image and put a blank piece of, of metal under this thing and then they press down, I don't know how many tons or pounds of pressure or kilograms of pressure, but whatever it does, it makes an image, a reverse image. And that's exactly what we need to be in Christ. We need to be reverse image of, of, of him. We need to look like him. You know, there's a scripture that says about Paul. It says this uh, of Paul. Paul himself actually says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I am stamped. I am stamped. That, that Greek word there, sorry, I'm back into my Greek, is the word stigma. You know what stigma is? Like it sticks to you. You get a stigma. You get a, you know, if you, if you do something bad or wicked or whatever, you get a stigma. You get a stamp. People look at you and say, oh, there goes the, mm, oh, whatever you are, a stigma. And that's what Paul says. He says, I bear in my body the stigma. I bear in my body the stigma of Jesus. There's another scripture in Colossians 1.24. It says this. For now I rejoice in my sufferings. And that's part of the stigma. You talk about suffering, sister. We get it. This is it. This is part of the deal. This is part of how we become sweet. Because you know ointments or, or fragrances, are, they don't come naturally. They're usually squeezed or crushed. Or the bark of a tree is ripped off that the gum can ooze out. And then they peel off the gum with, gun with, a, with a knife and then they crush it into a powder or they crush it into some ointment of some sort and they put it together but it brings out an aroma it doesn't come naturally so guess what you know just like paul just like paul he says <laughs> that we got to be he says i rejoice in my sufferings it's not a bad thing if you think it's a bad thing it's a good thing i rejoice in my sufferings with joy you need to do it with joy experience it with joy i rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up, and this is like very difficult theology to try and un unravel. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I want to just simplify it by saying this. Christ's afflictions are enough. They're enough. When Jesus died on the cross, they're enough. I don't need to add anything to Christ's afflictions. But what is he saying here? What is he really saying? And I'm, I'm, I'm putting my own interpretation to this. I'm trying to figure it out. How would he fill up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? How would he fill it up by his suffering? How would he do that? I'll tell you how he would do it. He would match. He would match the sufferings. Have you ever had grief? Any of you? Have you ever had sorrows, any of you? Have you ever been stricken, stricken or smitten by God with affliction? Have you ever been afflicted? Have you ever had transgressions, not only your own, but done to you? Have you ever been crushed? Have you ever had iniquities done to you or through you? Have you ever had any of these things? Have you ever had a lack of peace? Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs 
So the stamp of grief in your life is matched by what he did on the cross. So everything that you go through is matched by him. The sorrows smitten by God, the afflictions, the transgressions, the crushing, the iniquities, the chastisement of peace comes upon him, upon us. And even the wounds, with his wounds we are healed. So we bear in our bodies the stamp of Isaiah 53, what he did for us. That we are a copy, it has been impregnated, it has been stamped into our lives, it has pressed you, it has crushed into you the very image of Christ. Let me close. Jesus is obviously a very great and good picture of Jesus, of the Father. You have no doubt when you see him, you have no doubt who Sonny is. No doubt. You look through the scriptures, no doubt. I see Jesus. I see the Father. I look at Jesus. I see the Father. When you see him, we should have no doubt what we should look like. Because that is the purpose of God. We are being made into the image of Christ. Day by day, suffering by suffering, stamp by stamp, moment by moment, we are being pounded into becoming a model Christian. Becoming a model, walking with God, a follower of Jesus. We're becoming a model. So when you look at me, when you look at me, when you look at John, when you look at Lisa, any one of the others, I don't want to name you all. When you look at us, do you see Jesus? Do you smell Jesus? Smell him, smell him. Take a deep breath and feel the fragrance, smell the fragrance of Jesus in your life. Of you looking like your father. Now, there are scriptures, there are a lot of scriptures, but the one particular one that may scare some of us is that some other day that we actually stand before him. I said this to a person the other day, I said, someday, someday, they were struggling with a sin issue, and I said, someday you're going to sit opposite him, and you're going to look into his eyes. And he may ask you this question, Why? Why did you sin? Why do you carry on sinning? I've given you the gospel. The gospel is a way. A way to redeem you, to set you free, to break the chains in your life. And you came. And we'll sit before him one day, and that's a scary space. But I want to be like Paul, where he says, I'm ready, already being poured out as a drink offering. For the time of my departure has come. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. I have been stamped and I hold the stamp to the very end. Do you know what it is, what it means to be poured out as a drink offering? You know what the drink offerings did? If you look in the Old Testament, what they did, they would take the drink offering and pour it out over the offering. Salam. A lamb on the offering, a drink offering was poured out on it. One liter. One liter. And all that comes from that is a vapor. 
I want to live my life as a vapor. <laughs> that I will become that fragrance and be that fragrance of Christ. That when I've left, when I've left the room, left this earth, when I've left the room, the fragrance of Jesus is still there. Is still there.